This is Marco Reus and you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. episode 255 of the yellow wall pod it's time for Borussia Dortmund against Bayern München the top spiel in the Bundesliga first against third and uh, almost everyone abandoned me for this podcast but I'm not alone hello Konstantin Eckner from Spielverlagerung thank you for joining me hi Stefan hi how are you doing um well as almost always what about you <laughs> i'm doing very well myself thank you constantine and uh, a quick overview of this show of course we will spend most of our time talking about the Bayern game and uh, i had the pleasure of interviewing rafael honigstein today so that's a 20 minute segment you will uh, get to where i could uh, squeeze and pick his brain a little bit about uh, his beloved Bayern munich um which is uh, something i can recommend until for the end of this show. And uh, yeah, Konstantin, I guess we shall dive right in. Borussia Dortmund won nothing away to VfL Wolfsburg. And that handed Lucien Favre a record. He became the first coach to be on a 15-game unbeaten streak, newly installed manager. But that snapped when Dortmund traveled to Atletico, where they... Uh, took the first L of the season, a tunnel loss. Um, if you want to sum up those two games, because I haven't really, uh, I don't know, not the patience to talk too long about those two games, but um, what have we learned from these two games, Konstantin? I don't, I don't know what to take away from the Wolfsburg match, actually. Uh, just another day in the office, I think, because uh, Dortmund scored somewhat early um and then ship it away um uh, ship it away uh, sorry um afterwards i guess I, that's I, a takeaway right that for for the first time that's what i wanted to say to... actually before you rudely right. interrupted me sorry oh god yeah. uh yeah well let me continue please all right uh no what i wanted to say is that yeah they scored early on i just looked up at 27th minute uh marker Royce. um actually pretty nice goal um, and afterwards, they, they, not over the course of 60 minutes or so, they dominated the match, but for 50 or 45 minutes, they did. There was a, a small, uh, or a short stint, uh, after the halftime where Wolfsburg did pressure Dortmund a little bit more, but yeah, they didn't concede, and uh, they meaning Dortmund, and then, um, they, <laughs> yeah, they just shipped it home. I mean, I got a several spoke over 90 minutes were pretty shit, and that's the end of my analysis. Whoa, for this you, dropped the I mean, you dropped the S-bomb. Yeah, it's fine. We right. can be explicit. It's going to be a Bayern podcast, sort of, so um, I have to take it explicit one way or another. Um, though, honestly, Konstantin, I, I thought it was good for Dortmund to get 
a win where they showed a little bit of maturity. And now when we look at the Atletico game, I thought of, I sort of really expected them to lose this also in in the way they did just because I don't think Dortmund really had the conviction to go 100% in, in this match and, and really try to fight Atletico to, bitter, to the bitter end, so to speak. But I thought they were pretty content with the result. They're still top in Group A of the Champions League. The Tuna loss doesn't really hurt them and uh, they can now... Yeah, bring it home against Bruges and then AS Monaco. I don't think these two games will be much of an obstacle for them, to be honest. And um, yeah, we've seen that Atletico is uh, not great to play against when they uh, are in their defensive form. They this time managed to decipher Dortmund's midfield a little bit better, put some cover on Axel Witzel, contain him a little bit. Uh, it also didn't help that Thomas Delaney played next to him, uh, as, as you said, pre-pod. You need someone with a bit more creative element next to him. So Dahoud maybe or so. And of course, both wingers, Jaden Sancho and Christian Pulisic, who didn't play together much so far this season, showed maybe why. Um, neither really had a good day in the office. Uh, lost a lot of uh, 1v1 situations. And with that, Dortmund's attack really yeah, stalled. Uh, it's not like you will get a lot of chances in the half spaces against Atletico. So your best chance is to play around the, the center, put it on the wings and then hope for your, uh, yeah, skill players to, to open up the space. But that just never really materialized for Dortmund. So hence a two nil victory with Dortmund did not register a single shot on target was sort of the logical consequence. And, uh, Madrid are just so lethal when they get their vertical play going. And Dortmund made a couple of mistakes here and there. Um, Konstantin, do you agree with me that it was the right choice to play Toprak just uh, to rest Zagadou and uh, Diallo because they have both played a lot of minutes recently and Diallo was even a little bit injured? I, I guess so. Um, I mean, actually, before the match, considering that Dortmund won the first, uh, first encounter 4-0, um, I even expected Dortmund to, or Favre to uh, go for somewhat of a B starting 11, uh, basically, uh, giving some players like maybe Dahoud or Weigel some playing time, uh, because I don't think there was, I mean, there was a chance that Dortmund would like lose it, uh, five nothing or so, but not, not, uh, not that high of a probability. Um, and so, I mean, losing against Atletico, but winning the, um, the uh, duel with them um basically you know if they if they are even in the table uh, Dortmund is still up uh, because of the four nothing uh, at home so of course i mean there's there is a possibility to really go underwater uh, at uh, not at uh, Vicente Calderon <laughs> at Wanda Metropolitano um but i don't think that would have happened so uh, i think it was the right decision to play Toprak and uh, would even had played i mean if i if I'm farther, I would have played maybe someone like Dahoud or Weigel just to give someone else some playing time. I mean, he, he did also pick uh, Pulisic, who hasn't played that much recently, I think. Um, at least it feels like that. I don't know. It feels like Pulisic is a little bit out of the picture. Um, so yeah, it was, I think it was the right decision. Uh, it also showed the flaws 
top our cast, uh, compared to Akanji and Sagadu and even Diallo. So it, it, it also, the, the match quite obviously showed, uh, why in the center back rotation, Toprak is number four. I mean, it was like obvious why he is. And yeah, it was, very, it, it, very it, it's much. just, it basically justified Favre's decision the, the past few weeks and months that Toprak is not, uh, is just number four. And, and well, Toprak was also injured for a long time. Sure. So. But still, I mean, after, but then he, when he wasn't injured, he was sometimes not even picked for the, uh, for the match day squad. So, um, and I mean, justifiably so, because, because he is the only the fourth best center back. And that's, <laughs> that's not good enough, uh, to play, uh, for 90 minutes or so. Um, so, yep. Yeah. I guess, but it was the right decision. I don't know if it was necessary to play all the other players because most of them we will see again against Bayern and the Bayern match is far more important, uh, as, because, because Dortmund won decisively the first encounter with Atletico. Um, they will most likely, if they don't plunder it against, uh, Bruch or, or Monaco, but Monaco got slaughtered by Bruch. So I don't know if I think that there won't be a hurdle, uh, to win against them again. Yeah, as I, as I said, so yeah. at ms underscore bvb 1909 on Twitter has asked us, uh, should a father rotate it more heavily in midweek? Right. Uh, you say yes. Yeah. All right. Um, sure. we, we have a couple more questions actually. And, um, if we turn our attention to the Bayern game, um, oh, there's a, there's a, there's a game against Bayern. Yes. D- didn't, I didn't even notice. <laughs> Yeah, but but uh, may- maybe let's let's right. start that discussion with uh, a question by uh, Captain Weltraum, <laughs> and he asks, <laughs> um, which centre backs make it to the starting eleven? Because we already had a, a slight quabble over that uh, pre-pod, Constantine. Right. Because I think that Akanji and uh, Zagadou should make it, and you say Akanji and Diallo, and I think we're both right. But uh, why? So, yeah, I, it's, it's a tight, it's a tight race between Sagadu and Diallo for the second spot. I mean, of course, obviously, Akanji is number one center back. Without a doubt, he's the, the Abwehrchef, as they say in Germany, basically the boss of the, of the defense. Um, and so, of, of, of the back four. Um, and so I guess if Farfa thinks that Sagadu is at 100% and Diallo is not, then Sagadu is the, uh, the go-to guy. Um, such a pivot in uh, your real reason here. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I use reasoning, uh, quite often. That's why I'm on the podcast. Um, that's why you, you signed me for a considerable transfer fee. Uh, <laughs> from no Quit one. Stalling. From, from no <laughs> one. Uh, no, but, but actually, I think if, if Sagadu is at 100% and, uh, and Diallo is not, then Farber obviously should, should pick Sagadu. Although Sagadu, has the tendency to make a few mistakes and maybe cause a penalty here and there. So I don't know if, if uh, he might, might end up being the, the perfect victim for Robert Lewandowski, uh, just yeah, watching, who, who watching had, the who... Bayern match against <laughs> Athens. Oh, sorry? Yeah, I was just going to say, who uh, has a tendency of flopping these days. Yeah, he's quite, quite, he's quite, quite a, a fish, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but... Uh, did, he never did that when he played for Borussia Dortmund. Never. No, of no, course no, not. No, 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 no. Never. Um, that was every time was a foul. 100%. Yeah, of course, every time he almost lost the limp. No, all right. Yeah, yeah. So many head injuries from all the elbows and so on. Um, but 
I actually think that um, if we look at the game against Atletico, what Dortmund were really missing was a centre-back that could break the line with his passing. And I think of all three, Diallo, Akanji and Zagadou, Zagadou is actually the, the, the best player in that regard. That his uh, yeah laser passes, if uh, Bayern fans uh, like to describe uh, the ones of, of Boateng, uh, Zagadou can do that as well. And um, he also likes to move forward with the ball and looks very unfazed. And I think this is a strength and a quality that Dortmund have shown in recent games. Also, I want to say against Seta Berlin or so, which uh, yeah, was really lacking against Atletico and really stifled them. It was quite incredible, I thought, uh, how, how big of an impact that uh, yeah, passing player from the centre-backs really has on Dortmund these days. So, um, yeah, this would be my reasoning why Zagadou is slightly ahead of Diallo. Um, on the other hand, Diallo can also ball and uh, move forward with the ball on his feet, which is something very important in these high-profile games that you do it well. And Dortmund, uh, so far this season, have, have done it in, in several centre-back pairings. So uh, it's not like uh, one alternative for the other is, is really horrible. I don't know, maybe after the game we are smarter, but uh, I would like to see Zagadou right now. Um, also, he has more rhythm. Right, I'm at least glad that uh, Zagadou at left back is not a thing anymore. Because that was quite horrible most of the time. So, I mean, if the if there is might be a change at, at left back, then it would be uh, Diallo as, as a fullback and Zagadou inside. So... At least, you know, Sagadu as left back is not a thing anymore. But I, I would, I prefer Hakimi right now, as long as Schmelz is injured. Hakimi is, is the left back because he's, he's somewhat crazy in a good way. Uh, and also he's not that vertical, uh, because he's a, he's a right footer. So just to you know, punch it in here. Yeah, do you think that uh, Hakimi will bode trouble for who will it be? I guess Kimmich? Or Rafinha, who do you think we will play on the right back? And uh, I guess Robin, even though he, mm-hmm. he might be injured. So it might be Sna- Serge Gnabry, so many question marks. Right, right, right. Uh, we, we, uh, I, I think so. I think uh, Kimmich will play at right back. Uh, they tried him out as, as the holding midfielder against Freiburg. It didn't work. It wasn't necessarily his fault, but, you know, just watch the, the, the next match. Then Martinez was back in midfield and uh, Kimmich played right back. So Rafinha was uh, benched. Um, so I think Hakimi will play as left back, as I said. And uh, as if if Robin is injured or is not at one hundred percent, Napoli will play uh, as their right winger. And I think Napoli's uh, athleticism and and Hakimi's athleticism they, they neutralize each other a little bit. Uh, but I f- think Hakimi could catch Napoli here and there uh, flat-footed, sometimes at least. Uh, because, you know, Hakimi does some things you, you usually don't see and, you know, you can be surprising uh, to opponents. Um, and as the left winger, uh, as, as, as for Dortmund, uh, Dortmund's left winger, I believe that Fafa will uh, pick uh, Rafael Guerrero, actually. I think in, in these, in these high profile matches, he likes Guerrero, uh, on the left side. He's a bit of more of a defensive minded solution. Um, but so Fafa likes Guerrero. I mean, Guerrero as a left back is quite horrible. Um, and it shouldn't happen against Bayern, nor again, you know, nor against other high profile teams. But, uh, as a left winger, it could happen. And, uh, I like Guerrero against, uh, Kimmich. I mean, Kim, Kimmich is, is quite a, 
a pressing resistant player. I mean, he's one of the most pressing resistant uh, fullbacks in Europe, actually. Uh, but still, you know, Guerrero can get on his nerves a little bit and maybe outplay him here and there when, when Dortmund is in possession. Um, so I, I like that actually. Um, and I, and I think there's a, there's a good chance that uh, Guerrero will play as left back, uh, over someone like Jakob Prunlausen. But Jakob Prunlausen is still an option. I mean, don't get me wrong. Prunlausen, quite the man this, this season, right? Yeah, I think we, we both agree that um, Christian Pulisic is uh, not in the form right now to no. start in a game like this. Um, for that, he just has offered too little in, in recent games. Uh, I think his best performance came against Union Berlin. But right. also that uh, wasn't entirely convincing enough to, to play in, in this game. And uh, as you said, what I like about Brun Larsen, I've, I've said earlier on this uh, platform before is that he is a give-and-go type of player. He is uh, not someone who clings onto the ball just for the sake of winning eight dribbles, but he tries to um, yeah, find solutions quickly, rather, and, and uh, hopes to, to build something and against Bayern, who often rely on their pressing, and when they are outplayed via passing, often struggle as well. I think he is uh, not the worst option. And as you said, having Sancho on the right against uh, one Mats Hummels and um, Alaba um, is this more available. So um, this is, to me, a very close one between Guerrero and, and Brun Larsen. I can uh, imagine both, to be honest. So not clinging on the ball and tripling for the sake of tripling. So, so was a slight shot against uh, at uh, slight shot at uh, Sancho? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I also, I also watched the Atletico match, and I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, Sometimes he was just standing there, you know, <laughs> and it did make. Oh, previously made made the same actually, just standing there and making step overs for with no sense. I mean, I mean, credit to um, Atletico that uh, I think Felipe Luis and, and Juan Fran both um, managed to to close them down pretty well when they received the ball. So they just right. couldn't like, but pick up pace. But usually it's the strength of, of both players that they can explode on one or two steps from a standstill position. So it was also just a bad day in the office, I think. Sure, but it's it's also like Juan Fran, for instance, it's like... I don't know, a thousand caps on, on the international level. Um, I mean, he looks like he's 50 years old and played, you know, briefly after, sh after, shortly after uh, second world war. Um, and when, when and someone like Sancho comes at him and you know, just, uh, you know, just standing there making step overs, I mean, I think we're on far things. Yeah. Seen, seen all of that a lot and it doesn't work against me. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, guy. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, uh, someone like who it, it reminds me a little bit of a, a little war story. Uh, might be 10, 15 years ago when Cafu for AC Milan played against, uh, Manchester United uh, with Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo. And Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo tried all these things on the left side and Cafu just denied all of it. And Cafu was just smiling at him because, you know, Cafu was quite the right back and it was experienced as hell. And, uh, Ronaldo was still this young, bull um and it little it little bit looked like that you know the the old veteran just wasn't wasn't faced by what sancho had to offer but <laughs> but I when, mean, when sancho meets alaba different story different match yeah definitely i i just was going to say i mean 
What what Dortmund did really well against Atletico in the first game is that they pulled Juan Fran out with the run and then had Hakimi run into that space with right. at, at full full speed and then there's literally no one who can stop him. So that didn't work out so well in, in the second leg because Atletico, you know, found a solution a little bit and Dortmund also not in form and that brings yeah, me but to also, my also Dortmund sorry just to interrupt you uh, briefly uh, also <laughs> also Dortmund didn't just move the entire formation downfield. I mean, there, there isn't like, like, because when you do, want to do something like that, you need more players near the ball and you need, you know, you need more pressure on the final third to do something like that. I mean, that there is like, when Hakimi made his runs, he started 10 yards, uh, before the halfway line. So that's just, I mean, there was a complete different field position, uh, in the first match of course, when he did. Yeah. Well, this like, is part of the answer of the next question, which is from, uh, Yellow World Pod friend Adam Dorowski. And he asks, how great is our form really? Since the 4-0 against Atletico, we've got the 2-2 against Hertha, then an extra time win against Union, a scrappy 1-0 win against uh, Wolfsburg and then a loss in Madrid. And uh, I, I think this is really for Dortmund the, the, the biggest question going into this game because in terms of form overall compared to Bayern, they should be better. Um, just because Bayern have been completely awful in, in recent weeks. But uh, how much better are Dortmund right now? And, um, the, the one upside to that Atletico loss is that Dortmund have been superb in most parts of the season so far in the last 20 minutes of the game or so, where they created so much movement by substitutes and then other players in that final third that they always created gaps, spaces, passing options, yada, yada. And against Atletico over 90 minutes, they were extremely static. There was hardly any movement. And uh, hence, they hardly created anything. And to me, at least, I thought it was more deliberate. They wanted to have a very patient a patient approach in, in their build-up, but also not really create any chances. And um, I have a feeling that this will dramatically change against Bayern on, on a Saturday, that Dortmund will not just stand around there and hope that someone will make something happen. I think that's just going to be a different mindset. I don't know about you, Constantine. Um, how do you see Dortmund's form right now going into this game? And do you think that the recent games should be a concern? I mean, he or she, the, the person who asked the question, is someone... Adam. Sorry? Adam. Adam. So, he... But we are, we are unsure, you know. Um, I'm very sure. <laughs> well, different times. Um, now, I think the person who asked the question is just... I think he's, he's somewhat right. I mean, that since the 4 nothing win against uh, Atletico, Dortmund wasn't that impressive, but also there was this... I want to say they played really well against was, Hertha, but didn't score. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I think I think there was, there was, you know, two points just thrown away. Um, the the Union-Berlin match, weird one, actually. Um, you, you, should, you shouldn't go to overtime in that match also. Uh, but... Um, I think, I think before that, I mean, they, they had a 4 nothing against uh, Stuttgart, 4 nothing against Atletico, but also, especially against Atletico, that was like, it was like the perfect storm. Um, you, you don't have these matches quite often. You know, it reminded me, uh, like the, the 4 nothing against Real Madrid, if you remember. You might remember. Back in the day. Uh, it was something like that, you know, it just. It was a 4 1, but yeah. It was a four. Yeah, Bonzema scored, right? Or was it Warmers or something? I don't know. Um, I all, all I remember is the headlines: Hummels, Pummels. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyway, anyway, I think it was Ben. Uh, might have been Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah, or Benzema or whatever. But uh, we digress. Yeah, we digress. Right, as as often. Um, but what what I what I meant was it was like the perfect storm. You know, it was like one go after another, and it was just it was just going Dortmund's way. Uh, and also some players had like perfect perfect. Uh, performances there, especially Hakimi and their match Robert Lewandowski back then. Um, so, but coming back, I think form-wise, Dortmund is just ahead of Bayern, um, and I think there there are two mm, two main factors who are who are speaking for Dortmund win. Um, first one is that because Bayern plays in a four-three-three and and Dortmund usually plays in a four-two-three-one, you got these natural matchups. Um, you see, you got, you know, you got, you got the number, Dortmund's number 10 against, uh, Bayern's holding midfielder. You got the both, uh, Bayern's number 8, the 2 1 against, uh, Witzel and Delaney and so on and so on. You got these, these matchups, these natural matchups, uh, which, which actually, in my opinion, usually don't favor Dortmund in a, in a match against Bayern. But in this, this, uh, in this instance, it actually, they do favor Dortmund because athletically, Dortmund is just, 10-15% ahead of Bayern. Bayern it's, is it's interesting how that changed. The last time they these two sides met, Dortmund lost 6-0 and all of a the sudden they're favorites. It's not a half of a year between those two games. Yeah, I know. I know. But but it is it is quite possibly um, or it is it, it, just athletically. You know, just, just Form-wise and athletically, Dortmund is just 10-15% ahead of Bayern right now. Bayern looks like a tired, exhausted uh, a somewhat broken down machine. Um, you know, there are still some, some, some diamonds in there, like Nabri. Nabri is one of the, one of the few players right now who has improved the last few months. And Ramos Rodriguez look, still looks great. And, and Kimmich can look great, you know, but Thiago is injured. Kingsley Kumong is injured. Tulisa is injured. In my opinion, three of the major players who could have played or who can play major role in, roles in this team, uh, because they are young, and, um, if they are at 100%, they can really do damage. But all of them are injured, especially the Thiago injury is a big blow, big blow for Bar, um, or against their, their hopes to really get back on track. So Robin Ribéry, even Alaba, and the, the, the older center backs, the two, um, Ramos, Ramos Martinez, uh, Ravi Martinez, <laughs> Ravi Martinez, Thomas Müller, all of them struggle a little bit. So in these, in these matchups, I think I would favor Dortmund actually, if you go one by one. Um, and the second, and the second, um, Factor that really favors Dortmund, in my opinion, is that just the the chemistry, the team chemistry, and the tactical chemistry is just just better. Dortmund's Dortmund's chemistry is just better, especially in midfield. There's far more interaction. There's there's far more synergies. There's just far better understanding between the players. I think Witzel is is a, is a field general basically, um, and Reus is is really the captain of the team. Uh, really a typical skipper, um, and so. Even if if someone like Sancho does sometimes a little bit of his own thing and tries to play street soccer, um, still, most of the players are just interacting beautifully with each other. So I think that also favors Dortmund because Barnes also like that's a team that doesn't really work together as a machine. It's more like you know every, everyone does his own thing a little bit. Everyone is talented individually, but as a collective, they aren't really working well. So yeah. Just to break down what I think will happen or what, what will really favor Stoltman. Just to get your hopes up and then being destroyed, <laughs> by, to, to, to being crushed by a free nil for Bayern. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's something that's uh, realistic. Um, but I mean, 
I've talked about this with Raphael Honigstein, so there's a good chance listeners will uh, hear the same content twice now, but I don't care. I still want to say it. Peak Bayern, um, of of course, had so much individual quality, but the, the great thing about Bayern was that collectively they were just such a well-oiled machine, like really very few other teams, be it under Pep Guardiola or Jupankis. Um, and this is completely different now. This is... Uh, Basically, if you insert shades of Peter Stöger <laughs> of Dortmund's last season in, into Bayern Munich, and uh, you you get something very dysfunctional. And I wanted to talk with you a little bit about this, um, Constantine. Do you think? I know you're the great psychologist at Spielverlagerung. Do you oh, think that really? little little uh, side shows like Lisa Müller's <laughs> Instagram story, yeah. where she criticizes Nico Kovac and then Bayern Munich uh, having the gall to <laughs> to publish an official <laughs> news story that she apologized um, and and stuff like that? Do you think that issues like this, um, something we might have seen coming out of the Dortmund camp last season? Um, add to to Bayern's malaise and and players not being completely focused or do you think that uh, shit like that doesn't play a role at all in football <laughs> what do you think well um since i'm the the resident instagram expert here um <laughs> no it's Hey, don't love. I'm, I'm actually the Instagram. I think I'm into. I'm. I'm. I'm All right, Instagram model, Constantine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. Careful, I, this I, content I, might be advertised. I, I just was at the barber today, and I'm looking quite sharp right now. Yeah, all right. Um, still looking good. Um, I'm, I'm actually recording this one in front of a mirror, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. How else would you see yourself? Yeah. All right. Um, so. I mean, I actually did some research on the Lisa Müller story <laughs> because I, I one of my previews uh, for the match. I, I, you know, basically uh, you know, the first introductory part of the article was about you know Kovac getting criticism from all sides, including Lisa Müller. Uh, which is all right, bonus question. Which is the most generic name you can find in Germany? Actually, I think next to Thomas Müller. <laughs> next to Thomas Müller, right? That, that's why they are married. Uh, yeah. But here's the bonus question yes. for how long? Because Lisa Müller took down all of her Instagram. That's posts what I wanted to mention. Actually, got it. You, you did it take away from me. Yeah, that's what I wanted to mention. That the story goes on. Like she, she did uh, publish some stuff on Instagram. You know, criticizing uh, Kovac, not not naming him, not calling him by name, just saying he, but the coach. You know, like, uh, because uh, Müller is just a bench player right now. Uh, her husband is a bench player. That then you know, got rightfully some, so. Got to, yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I think she just you know wears some pinky glasses. Um, watching him. So, what then? Of course, they got some blowback, and then she you know apologized. Usual thing that that happens all the time. And then she deleted all of the pictures that included or that that showed her with Thomas Müller. Like, are they now divor or in divorce or something? I, I don't know what's going on. It's crazy. It's crazy. Instagram uh, destroys lives. So, uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, Takes one to know one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, no, no. Actually, what it, what it really shows is, I mean, that that really Nico Kovac has to think or that or that think about, but but that Bayern Munich has to comment on like uh, someone, you know, the, the wife of a player commenting, uh, or doing criticism or making criticism, uh, critical comments on Instagram 
towards the cat couch. The only thing that shows you is that Barn is somewhat of a nutcase in general. You know, just remember the press conference. Uh, if maybe if you don't know, look it up. The press conference. Hunus uh, and Roman, the, the two you know big rakes at Bayern, they they had a press conference a few weeks ago and criticized the media. Like like in a in a, in a style. Some yeah, Matthias and I talked about that uh, in, in okay. extent last, uh, all right, last all right. episode. Now now I'm exposed that I didn't listen to the episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, it was it was <laughs> really it was really it was like I don't know uh, just some 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 dictator uh, press conference kind of style. Um, so maybe you would uh, see something in or in some countries, but we we, we don't want to name names. Um, so. It's it's just what happens at Bayern is and, and, and really Hoeneß and Rummenigge they talked about their situations like they are about to get relegated. They are in third place or fourth place or, or second place or whatever. I mean, in they, third place, right? Even no, no. But they, at the they, time, they were fourth very, place they, or something. There was a very funny conversation. Uh, you you talk on while I I'll dig it up one second. Right. Okay. I I I go on just. Um. No. But but really, what it shows and and it is it dates back to the 1990s. So when I got first into football when I was like five years old, um, there there was always the saying that that uh, Bayern Munich was like FC Hollywood. Uh, because it was all about trauma and it was like, you know, all these players wanted to be celebrities. Uh, and, and when things didn't go the barn way or the, the way that the, the club officials and the players wanted it to go, um, there was just trauma going on. Um, and that's what's, what's happening right now. I, I think Kovac as a coach can be somewhat of a, of a great signing. He can be, but he has just on his resume, he has only two successful years at, Fra- at Frankfurt. He had, Quite the disastrous uh, stint at the Croatian national team, so he doesn't really have the resume, to, and and therefore so, so the, are, the, are the authority. That, are you saying that Niko Kovac is lacking dressing room authority? That's what I just extent? wanted to say. Okay. Uh, no, no, I don't think I don't think dressing room authority. I actually think they uh, they picked him because he has an authority in the locker, or he can have an authority in the locker room. But uh, but if uh, things go south a little bit, then he doesn't have the authority. It's the same with uh, Domenico Tedesco at Schalke. Talented coach, but on his resume, before he went to Schalke, only, uh, what was it, like four months at Erzgebirge Aue, a, a small uh, village club in the second Bundesliga. So that's that's nothing, really. Um, so uh, during the first year that was really successful, he had authority. But now things are going south and he don't have any authority because he doesn't have anything to back it up. And Kovac is the same. You know, a coach can have authority for some time, but only a few coaches have authority when things go south. Jürgen Klopp is one of them because he has the resume to back it up. Um, but ours don't. I mean, and, and let's, let's, let's be honest. Even Carlo Ancelotti, Carlo Ancelotti, who had, you know, one of the most experienced and most successful coaches in Europe, even he broke at Bayern. To some extent, even he got broken by Bayern Munich, so it's a crazy club club to be the head coach of. Yeah, and I found finally the. Uh, I, I, little... g- I, g- I gave you enough time. Right? Yeah, yeah, m- more than enough. Um, <laughs> hey, <laughs> but uh, th- there was a journalist asked Uli Hoeneß uh, whether he sees uh, it critical that Bayern are only third, and uh, Uli Hoeneß replied, "As far as I know, we are only in second. And no." Gladbach are second, uh, but they're level with us on points, right? Yes. You see, I only care about the go- gold, 
uh, I only care about that, not about the goal difference. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, even in denial about that, but right. it's it's. I mean, it's it's funny. It doesn't really but, matter. But it's it's but match day te- uh, match day ten or so. I mean, it just... is. But but Constantine, you know, there's the unwritten law of the Bundesliga among pundits. For whatever reason, that match match day ten is the first match day where the Bundesliga table gives some validity for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, but but Bayern is third and not fifteenth. So, I mean, that's just, and, and just remember, uh, after match day seven last season. Yes, I do. And with that, we, uh, uh, come to a question from the, uh, wonderful at Carbon Wächter on Twitter. And he asks one thought for the next pot. If hopefully not Bayern win against Dortmund, will they have one point less in the Bundesliga, uh, one point more in the Champions League and equal in the cup Bayern and crisis? Borussia Dortmund on a high, but basically they are pretty much on the same level on the facts that really matter, also known as points. Um, let's just go through that scenario here, Konstantin. If Bayern really do win, um, they are, yeah, almost even. Um, do you think that will, um, yeah, put things a little bit into perspective for Dortmund or, um, what would you make of that scenario then? Because, one could really say that Dortmund so far is on a high and, and Bayern, um, yeah, have been in complete crisis mode. Do you think that's just uh, because that any, um, time Bayern not playing at 110%, uh, you know, everyone writes that they're in crisis or how would you make mm. that situation out? So. Yeah, that, that's, you know, perception is king. Um, and I think uh, actually his context is king, but now it's perception is king. We should change it. Um, sure. I mean, yeah, obviously then if Bayern wins that match, that can be like a turning point in the season. I don't know because it, it, but it could be because after the international break, it's also like going into the international break with, you know, three, three points, uh, winning three points at Dortmund and in Dortmund losing against Bayern at home. So there can be somewhat of a head scratcher and, you know, it can be in the back of the heads of the players for, for a few weeks, uh, before they go back to business, um, to the real business, not international football. Um, and so then Bayern plays at home against Dusseldorf, which will be like a slaughtering, no matter how bad Bayern are, Bayern are these days. Uh, there will be slaughtering. Dortmund travels to Mainz, could also be a win. Then Dortmund plays at home against Freiburg. Uh, Bayern plays at Bremen. Tricky one, actually. Um, so what I want to say is, and then Bayern at home at, against Nuremberg and uh, Dortmund at Schalke. So it's it can really be the case that if Bayern wins, that both teams are leveled. And I think they can have a race until the winter break and be pretty much even because they might win almost all of their matches. And the first team that, that stumbles up, uh, over one of these weaker teams, uh, will lose the race for the, you know, what, what, what's, what's it called? Autumn championship, which is not a thing. Yeah. Herbstmeisterschaft. Yeah. 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 It was just like the, the fall championship. Uh, it's like not really a thing, but yeah, you know what I mean? Like who's first at, at the winter break? Um, so. But I, but that's that's could that could really happen because I I, I favor of course the, these two teams are favored against all of all of these opponents. I mean, Bayern then plays at Hannover, Dortmund plays at home against Bremen. I mean, they should win all of them. So, 
And and before the winter break, I just you know just uh, go through it. I mean, Dortmund has a, has a tricky one uh, on twenty first of December against the Borussia Mönchengladbach at home. That will be at the play before that uh, at Düsseldorf. That should be winnable. And Bayern plays at home against uh, RB Leipzig. So both teams have like one major major uh, match still ahead of them, which they could lose. But all of the other matches should be won. So. <sighs> Now, Munich. I mean, the derby oh. is of course for Dortmund the, the, always. Yeah, tricky. yeah, especially at Schalke. That could, uh, but yes. Bayern, but Bayern plays against at Frankfurt uh, on December twenty second. So yeah, that should be a good one as well. Yeah. So so what I just wanted to say is it, it could be tight race. So I think I, if, I I hear you, but at ms underscore bvb nineteen oh nine once again with another question as will Saturday show if Dortmund are serious title challengers. Or is it just three points? I think if Dortmund beat Bayern and distance themselves by seven points, I think that's a definite yes. What do you think, Konstantin? That's a definite yes. But if they lose, not decisively, but, you know, just one, two, one or something, um, then I don't think that eliminates them from, from the title race. I mean, often enough, the title race is really about who does make uh, the least mistakes against the, the smaller teams. There was, there yeah, was as, the case as, for as Dortmund, last, the Dortmund said, in, the, in the last past. week. Yeah. yeah, as Lars said last week, champions are made in autumn, basically, because when it gets tricky, you have a lot of trap games and uh, fixtures against mid-table teams and a lot of uh, Champions League games. So, you know, it's easy tri to trip up them, I want to say. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's It's more about beating consistently everybody else. Right. And sometimes. Not, you know, so, Matches like the one against Hertha, where you unnecessarily drop two points, that's the, the matches where you really lose a championship. Because what, what really was the strength of Bayern in the past, in many many seasons, was that they won all of these these matches against smaller teams, against the, the underdogs. They they barely made mistakes against them. While Dortmund or Bayer Leverkusen or who who else you know was in the title race or someone in the title or Schalke. They then, you know, in autumn or, um, you know, in, in March or April, they stumbled a little bit and then lost a few points and were out of the title race or just, you know, then Bayern distanced them. Yeah, I mean, right now we see something that we haven't seen in a while and that is Bayern actually dropping points in a game like this. I mean, the 1-1 the draw against Freiburg is a perfect example. And... um if we talk a little bit about Bayern's struggles, um, you know, they're often criticized for starting really, really bright. The first 10 to 15 minutes tend to look good for Bayern, but uh, if they don't score, or even if they score, as, as seen against Ajax, I think it was, um, then they just collapse and there is nothing then coming out of them which uh, energizes them a lot of uh, criticism goes towards Niko Kovac and his lack of in-game coaching and if I remember correctly Niko Kovac actually received a lot of praise for his in-game adjustments at Frankfurt mm. um, do you have an explanation for why Bayern just um, if they are struggling um, for some reason can't pull themselves out of their mess during a game yeah, but, uh, I mean, Kovac had more freedom at Frankfurt. Uh, he could basically do what he wanted to do. Just, you know, there wasn't like any, pre I mean, there was pressure on him, but there weren't any restraints. But when, when he joined Bayern, he just, he was, or he seems to be restrained to one, 
one or two systems basically, or you know, two quite similar systems: four, four, three, three, four, two, three, one, something like that. That is, there's not much difference. Um, and and that's I find it quite. Maybe there's something like, like the pressure of the situation coming to him a little bit. And that's why he doesn't feel comfortable with trying out these things. Because at Frankfurt, it was the case that uh, if he tried something out and it didn't work and they lost, it wasn't like a big deal. I mean, it was just, it was Frankfurt, you know, mid-table team. Okay, they lost a match or two. Not a big deal. Uh, at Bayern, of course, he has the pressure to win all of these matches. He doesn't do that, but he's also hesitant to really change things. And I think my my biggest complaint about Kovac right now is a, like a you know as as a observer of the Bundesliga, uh, not as, a, as as someone who follows uh, Borussia Dortmund. Um, my biggest complaint about him would be that he doesn't try out things and he doesn't mix things up when he sees that uh, his tactical um, approach doesn't work and it, it really doesn't work. It, it's just he does the basically what he does is repeating the mistake Carlo Ancelotti already made. Um, and and that's not what I I don't think that's what the Bahn front office wanted him to do when they signed him. They wanted to see something new. They wanted to see a locker room authority, but they also want to see an energetic coach who, who has new ideas. Uh, because Bayern has has pretty much you know requested declined after Pep Guardiola left. That's like two wasted years. I mean, Jupinkus masked some of the flaws for some time, but um, now it's. You know, it's it's just it's back at where they were a year ago, basically, uh, when Dortmund was leading the table uh, after seven match days. Um, so I don't know, I don't know. Uh, I, f- I think maybe maybe the situation is just, or you know, the, the entire situation is just a little bit too big for Kovac at this point. And I mean, of course, he would never say that, and he would never uh, confess that maybe the pressure is too high or something. Uh, I mean, that was basically just destroys credibility and you, you would never do that. Uh, but it might be the case. Um, and, and I think also he, he maybe missed a point and you could, uh, early on in the season where he could have tried a few things out when, when Bahn wasn't good, when, when the, when the performance weren't good. Um, uh, but he had the chance to try a few things out and had to, uh, basically could apologize or had the excuse to say, yeah, well, we are in the, you know, we have to find the right, the right system. But right now, after 10, 11 match days in the it's, Bundesliga, it's after 15, 15, Favre did, you know, yeah, after 15 ma- matches or so, it's, it's a little bit too late to try things out. Like, why now? You know, you had the chance, you know, first, first two, two or three, five match days, try something out and then find the right thing and do it and, and, you know, stick to it. Um, yeah, so if, if I may interrupt you, this is sure. actually what Lucien Favre did this season because, um, at the start of the season, Dortmund's attack wasn't really flowing at all. We had Marius Wolf on, on the wing, then against Hoffenheim. We what had happened him, to him actually? Yeah, we, we, we had him up front. We had Shinji Kagawa on, on a 10 and then against Nuremberg, he finally decided to play Marco Reus as a number 10, bring Jakob Brun Larsen and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden things clicked and, Maybe that was just the phase and the time for Favre to, you know, learn about his team, but he actually also communicated that openly where he said, look, I need to get to know these players and how they behave in certain situations. So I will try things out and everything will need time. And Kovac being a new coach at, uh, at Bayern could have done exactly the same. And you just said he didn't. And uh, I think now that's a problem and an advantage for Dortmund because Favre has allowed himself the luxury to just try things out. So, 
that's uh, my my two cents on, sure. on that situation. Uh, but but also even Lucien Favre, even Borussia Dortmund, even Lucien Favre wasn't under the pressure. Uh, Kovac was, and I, I think when Kovac signed for Bayern, he he forward and maybe it was he told him that I don't know. I mean, you never know exactly what's going going on behind the curtain, but maybe he thought that he had to win right from the get go, and he had to you know lead the table right from the get go, and. Uh, the first three matches, I mean, Bayern, they didn't look good, but they won, so it wasn't that bad. I mean, well, they they looked much better than than uh, they are looking now because they were playing against teams like Stuttgart or Leverkusen. But my my point yeah, is, yeah, but but they dropped they dropped two points against Freiburg just just a few days ago. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh, what what is interesting now is there are obviously a lot of questions whether. Niko Kovac will get the boot if um, mm. he loses in Dortmund. And you never know with Bayern, but I think, at least from what I'm reading and hearing, especially from Mr. Hoeneß, that they are more or less trying to set him up um, to stay at the helm and, and set up the fans for rougher times because um, we've talked about the press conference briefly. Mm. I think that was already the sort of uh, us against everybody mentality and and uh, trying to hit out to distract from from maybe other issues and of course to um yeah deflect maybe or or try to to undermine criticism or whatever um that's step number 1 and now Uli Hoeneß actually said that um Dortmund are the favorites going into this game and i just think that uh, Bayern now tried to manage the expectations where they said that, uh, yeah, maybe they won't win the championship. I think they've, Hunes has even said that Dortmund are not in a transition year, but Bayern are right now, <laughs> which um, is sort of true, but also not because Bayern are not in a transition year yet because they haven't transitioned. That's their big issue. Right. They, they will be in a transition year next year and when yeah, they really they make the a squad overhaul. Yeah, they're in the pre-transition year, which is usually the bad year. And um, so I think Bayern will just cling on to Kovac and uh, try to just uh, pull through the season. And uh, if Dortmund wins it, they win it. I um, mean, s- since we have a lot of American uh, listeners, I mean, basically we're at Bayern all right now. It- it's it's not the it's not quite a r- appropriate comparison, but they are basically in the year before you get a high draft pick, and then. <laughs> you have the you have the new team basically you have the team rebuild so that's ready all right now I think because they will make a few big signings just you know to have a, uh, something um, from 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 NBA and NFL um, because I think next summer they will make one two maybe three big signings um, they really got a, got rid of a few players uh, he slimmed the payroll. Um, and I think that that will lead to th- them making a few big signings and really uh, rebuilding the team. And and also what you just said that I think Hoeneß, especially Hoeneß, he, he will cling on to um, Kovac for quite some time. Is that I mean the sporting directors Hasan Salihamidzic and the head coaches Niko Kovac, two former players who played you know under uh, Hoeneß when Hoeneß was was the was this not the CEO was. Whatever he was, he was in. He had like a thousand jobs at Bayern, but uh, he was basically the the man in charge. Um, and I think he likes the idea that all these. And he talks even about it that he likes to have players and 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 not not only players, um, coaches and sporting directors and managers and all um, these kind of figures who played for Bayern, who who have the Bayern. 
DNA. Um, and that's why they, he, he may cling onto Kovac for a little bit longer than he would do when it was like so, some random coach not really having the so-called Bayern DNA, like someone like Carlo Angelotti, you know, just a foreigner coming in, uh, never worked for Bayern before, never played for Bayern, obviously, um, and then, you know, underperformed and then they get rid of him. Um, they have, they, they treat these, these people like Kovac, Jopankas, they treat them differently. Um, and that's why, like, perfect scenario for, for Hönes is to have Kovac on the sideline, uh, at the sideline and, and then really they winning, winning, um, uh, you know, Champions League or at least a German championship with him. That's like, it's, it's more, that has more value, um, to, to Hönes than just winning another championship with someone, which is when him, when him coach from Italy or Spain or France. Yeah. Interesting, but maybe you're right. Um, I've got another question from at Ovo Yes, and uh, he asks, I live in the US, so I always wonder what is the feel about this game in Dortmund? Is it really, I can't stand Bayern in quotes, or just another fixture? Here, it's pushed as their classica, but is it really that big in Germany? Would it ever be as big as the Revier Derby? Thanks, love the show. Thank you for loving the show, Jesse. Um, Konstantin, I want to say this game for a very long time was bigger than the Revier Derby. It was in, in the 2000, between 2012, 13, 14, this game was much, much bigger, um, than any other game in, in Germany, just because it was the two best teams facing each other. And there was a lot of hate between those two teams. Um, I want to say it cooled down a little bit just because Dortmund, uh, regressed that much, but I think for Saturday, this uh, is back just because the implications of having an actual title race and uh, the showdown, it's just there. And so I want to say, yeah, their Classica is a marketing gag. We all know that. But um, people in Germany usually really cannot stand Bayern at all. Um, there's <laughs> like literal hate there um, just because yeah, Bayern I don't know if it's hate, dominant. but it's dislike at least. Yeah, at, at least. Um, but <laughs> so so to answer the question, yes. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a very big game in, in Germany. Um, is it bigger than the Revier Derby? Um, let's say from, from a national perspective, definitely. That's from what I think, yeah, that's what I think. But from a regional perspective, it isn't. Um, so if you're from Gelsenkirchen or the Ruhr area, Ruhr Valley in general and Dortmund, um, it's, it's tough. So, um, the, the funny thing is Dortmund has the two biggest games of the year f with their involvement, which is Dortmund against Schalke and Dortmund against Bayern. Um, Bayern has Dortmund against Bayern and Schalke have Dortmund against Schalke, but, uh, yeah. That's, that's about it. So Dortmund are really in a sweet spot when it comes to, to the, uh, yeah, great fixtures in the Bundesliga. Um, just to point that out. Um, anyway, Konstantin, is there anything we need to discuss still? Because I think we have covered it so much. Dortmund's starting lineup, I think, is more or less set in stone. Um, we just decided what, what Fafer has to do. So. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but I think um, Hakimi will play on the left, Pishek on the right, then either Diallo or Kanji, uh, Diallo or Zagadou next to Kanji 
in midfield, I'm pretty sure we will see Delaney and Witzel. Everything else would front. shock me, actually. At this point, everything else would shock me. If yes. There's, like Dahoud suddenly, all of a sudden, is like back in midfield. Yes, and then up top, I think we will see uh, Reus on the 10 spot, Sancho on the right, and then either Guerrero or Brun Larsen on the left, and then up front, Alcatha. That's... Uh, how how I see it going down and for for Bayern I'm not actually sure um but yeah doesn't, I'm I'm not sure but, but I, I just mentioned I I, I think uh, it will Kimmich at right back it will be uh, Süle and Hummels uh, occupying the two centre back positions I think Boateng picked up a, a slight injury and also Boateng and Süle played against Freiburg Hummels and Boateng played against Athens and that and that leads. Probably to because they have a quite you know strict rotation that leads to Hummels and Süle against Dortmund um, because they have three centre backs basically on par, basically. Um, then Alaba at left back, Ravi Martinez in holding midfield. Uh, I I I think that he uh, Kovac will play Goretzka and Ramos uh, in attacking midfield. Uh, it might be Müller and and Ramos or, or Müller and Goretzka, but I think Ramos, Rodriguez, and uh, Goretzka are the best attacking midfielders at this point. Uh, of, of course, Robert Lewandowski in, in center forward. Serge Napri will probably play at one of, at, at one of the wings and, and it will be either, uh, Robin or Ribery, who is, you know, uh, who has the better form, who is fit. I think if, if Robin is fit, then he plays. If not, then it's Ribery at, uh, on the left side and Napri on the right side. Or is it Napri on the left and Robin on the right? All right. And I think, uh, with that, Constantine, we can predict the game and then, uh, give over to Mr. Honigstein. What do you think will be the outcome? Uh, I think it will be an uh, exciting 1-1. Uh, well, well, well. I really do think that Dortmund is going to win this, and I think they're going to um, yeah, make it quite fun for Dortmund fans. I think Dortmund are going to win 3-1 in this game. I really think that uh, Bayern will give up three goals, and I just don't see them scoring more than one in this game. They've just been that bad. So um, that's my prediction, and uh, that should make for a very fun international break. Um, so... I guess without any further ado, it's time to uh, hear from the great Rafa Honigstein. Play the clip. I'm now joined by Raphael Honigstein, ESPN's very own writer, journalist, renowned book author. Raphael, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me, Stefan. It's a pleasure. You said before that you're very open about your affiliation to Bayern Munich, and uh, you said that you want them to lose. Why is that? Now, there, there are a couple of reasons for this. Um, first and foremost, as someone who does indeed... Um, have its uh, their sympathies with with the Bavarian side of things. I feel that the club is such a in such a bad state that it almost needs to taste defeat 
and needs to have that setback to realize that change is necessary. They might actually already know that deep down, but I think if they were somehow allowed to still have success while not really addressing the issues, both as far as the team is concerned, but also I think the, the wider setup, I think it sets a bad precedent. Like any organization, I think you need to be challenged um, and you need to be punished for your mistakes. And if you get too complacent, you stop innovating, you make wrong decisions, you put yourself in on course for, for a big disappointment, for a big disillusionment. And I, I'm hoping, and here's the, the second layer to your answer, I'm hoping also for, really for the sake of the league, that uh, Dortmund will take advantage of this weakness that we've seen at Bayern. I think a lot of things have to come together um, to give anyone a chance. But it looks as if the stars might align in a way that Dortmund are very consistent, much better than uh, anticipated. And Bayern have shown the kind of weakness that we perhaps anticipated, but then didn't when they started so well. But now we're kind of back to where I think one or two people even in Munich thought they might be in the first place. Yeah, there were a couple of headlines about Bayern Munich running away with it again. And now we're going into match day 11. And as you said, there is for once a challenge. Um, so let's maybe talk a little bit first uh, before we get into the entire FC Hollywood mess about the on-pitch issues. Um, if you talk about um, Nico Kovac and uh, here from the guys at Mirzan Roth, they were very critical of his in-game coaching. Um, do you think that he himself is making mistakes or do you think he has just been dealt a bad hand with the squad he has? He has been, a dealt, he has been dealt a bad hand, but then he knew that before. Um, I think this is something I alluded to earlier. I think that a lot of small problems come together that by themselves might have not been enough to see Bayern struggle so much. You know, the, the team being in transition, in transition in the sense that they are neither the old the Bayern of old, nor a new Bayern, but really a halfway house, which is neither here nor there, that is a problem. The fact that Kovac has not coached at this level, doesn't come with a reputation, doesn't perhaps come with a dressing room authority is a second problem. The problem that there is no strong sport director to guide him, to guide the team is a third problem. The fact that Uli Hoeneß and Karls Rummel are perhaps not quite with their finger on the pulse as much as they used to in the past, another problem. So all these issues by themselves perhaps don't look insurmountable. They don't look as if they would stop Bayern with all the quality that they still undoubtedly have on their way to winning a seventh title. But in combination with Dortmund playing so well, um, finding consistent results, and at the same time doing it in the sort of style that Bayern wish they would be playing, uh, especially when it comes to the creativity up front, makes it very difficult. And I think here Kovac's inexperience is coming very much into sharp relief. And I think it is right to say that it looks as if for all the improvement that he initially brought when it came to defensive stability, when it came to a reintroduction of a pressing game by an also um, physically looking quite sharp and uh, a lot fitter than perhaps they have done for a while, All these improvements have not been matched by similar improvements when it came to ideas with, with the ball. 
And I've been hearing from inside the dressing room, as we hear the fridge <laughs> in the background, in this lovely VIP lounge that we're, we're doing, uh, you, you might think that yellow, um, yellow wall pot is, is a pot for the people, but actually we're sitting in this <laughs> VIP area uh, drinking, uh, what are we drinking? Chilled Coke. Not and, anymore. The fridge has been now. And mineral water. Anyway, uh, I digress slightly. Uh, you hear from the dressing room that they expect more answers when it comes to problems on the pitch with the ball. And here, once, once again, if we didn't have a Lucien Favre doing exactly that with the Stortman team, perhaps we wouldn't notice so much. Perhaps Bayern, with the points that they have, would still be first and we wouldn't be having that discussion but because there is a Dortmund team that are seemingly doing better and in almost all of these areas that we talked about just now then I think the problems at Bayern become glaringly obvious yeah you're right it's all a bit about relativity if you're in a Formula One car you will feel it's really really fast but then there's another one going two seconds faster left then you feel awfully slow so um Kovac has, has once said that he needs to play over the wings because other opponents congest the middle about him. I found that quote really one-dimensional. Um, right now you said Bayern are in a bit of a drought from, from a creative standpoint. Do you think that will improve over the course of the season as maybe players come back or they sign new players in the, in the next transfer window? Or do you think that we are seeing a Bayern side at their best for what they can do this season? Well, Alfonso Davis is coming in. They have high hopes for him when he comes in January. Uh, you have Kingsley Coman hopefully coming back. So those two will improve pace, will improve the dynamism in the, in the final third. But that in itself is not enough. And again, Dortmund are a great example because most of the players doing really well here were here last year. And they were all on the pitch. And Peter Stöger just said to them, you guys just go and do your stuff. <laughs> And there was, you're laughing, but... No, it was absolutely quite, right. But it was quite bad. I mean, it was for a neutral um, who enjoys Dortmund playing well, it was horrific to see at times how just bad and devoid of any structure and organization, any patterns of play there were up front. And Bayern, I wouldn't say are that bad, but there is an element of, I think, Kovac just relying on the work of his predecessors with the ball and... Um, like every coach at Bayern before him, just relying on the individual quality that one of the guys will somehow do something. And that might still be enough to win the German Championship. There might still be enough to win most uh, games domestically, to uh, get into the latter stages of the Champions League. But I think as close followers of Bayern will tell you, you can see the regression when it comes to the collective organization. The reason why Bayern in this decade reached a whole new level of competitiveness domestically and internationally is because they went beyond their usual um, idea of football, which is just the best, to buy the best players possible by actually having a superstructure that then brings out not just the best, but brings out more than the individual parts by themselves would be able to do. Uh, that started with Louis van Gaal. And 
I feel that is in, it is in danger of being lost. And I think with those 10, 15% being lost, I don't think Bayern don't quite, even Bayern don't have the resources to continue because they will run into better teams with better players as they have done before they started this um, slightly more holistic approach, if you will, to playing football. I, 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 I'm depressed about that dimension of, of the game being lost. And I don't think that all of Bayern's emphasis on a family atmosphere and on togetherness and having a good spirit and having in-house solutions by itself will be enough to make up for the deficit that deficit that is appearing in my view. Yeah, I was wondering how do you think the players perceive it because they have been coached by a, a coach like Pep Guardiola. They have had your Pankis who is also very... Um, detail oriented let's let's put it this way and uh, now if they don't get let's say the feedback or the input by a coach in, in, in such a detail do you do you think that the players feel themselves they are regressing and then are acting up do you think this is going to be a huge problem that they feel just the regression as you just said themselves on the field i don't think it's come to the point where they feel you know under Kovac we cannot we cannot have success and we basically want him out. I don't think that's happened, but I think there is a disappointment. I think one of the, especially one or two of the younger players who were hoping really to get to the next level of their career, they were hoping for a team that really works, that brings out the best of them, a coach that really helps you in your development. I don't think that's really happened so far under, under Niko Kovac. And the, the other issue is that I'm not sure that even if Bayern start playing better football by way of you know having players coming back and maybe picking a bit of form, will necessarily be able to bridge the gap that exists with teams that have individually better players. And I think that is the big problem. You know, looking back at the Guardiola years, I always remember sitting with uh, some colleagues of mine in Munich and saying, you know, these are these are the golden years because we have a team and we have a coach. And we have a setup that works and we take it for granted now, but I don't think it'll exist for much longer. We need to cherish it. And, you know, in a space of two and a half years only, I think we're quite in a, in a different place. And uh, it doesn't make for, for pretty, pretty viewing in my eyes. And I find it a little bit... A little bit depressing that Bayern have not been able to continue where they left off but actually have gone a couple of steps backwards and this is independent of how the game against Dortmund will finish this is independent really of what happens domestically because Dortmund might still have a bad face Bayern might still pick up some pace pick up some some rhythm but by and large I think it'd be very very hard with the existing setup to be anywhere near the top European teams uh, in the near future. Yeah, as you just said, the first step to improvement is uh, recognizing that you have a problem and this is why you want them to fall on their nose. Now, I think it's safe to say that FC Hollywood is back in town and uh, Bayern had this weird press conference. And Rafa, I have to be honest, I'm as a colleague, are very proud of how you approach your work, especially also during the World Cup, how you explain to people um, how the entire racism thing with uh, Mesut Özil panned out and that you really put your finger into the wound, let's say. <laughs> a bit English. Um, 
But we, we are seeing the same again with Uli Hoeneß. At this press conference, this iconic press conference, he basically said, well, I wanted to deflect from the whole racism debate and uh, just wanted to attack him for his bad playing on, on, on the pitch. Now, we both know that there has been a racist remark toward Mesut Özil. So in, in general... I'm trying to make a more general point here. Do you think that the Bayern bosses, and especially Mr. Hoeneß, are out of touch with reality? And because of that, do you think their decision-making overall and guiding this club is suffering from that? I, I would definitely agree with that analysis. I think Ole Hoeneß is um, an avowed technophobe. He doesn't frequent social media he doesn't really I think understand just how much hate and, and negativity is being directed towards players and how players are much more exposed and uh, also confronted by by these sentiments now I think Uli Hoeneß to take a charitable view simply doesn't believe that Mesut Özil was 100% genuine when he said racism was the main reason why he withdrew. I think in Uli Hoeneß's mind, and I think Uli Hoeneß is not being disingenuous here, he feels that Mesut Özil wasn't good enough for Germany yeah, anymore. Yeah, that's why I said out of touch. Yeah, wasn't good enough anymore and used racism as an excuse to withdraw from the team because otherwise he might have been kicked out. I think Uli Hoeneß genuinely believes that. I don't think that he is being insidious and trying to say, you know, there is racism, but I will now pretend there isn't. I think he doesn't see it. I think he doesn't see it. He doesn't understand it. And he reacts very emotionally and without empathy. And I think that is quite sad to see because... I think Uli Hoeneß in the past, whatever you can say about him, has always shown that he has a heart, that he has um, a wider picture, especially in football, um, especially when it comes to helping people. And we don't see that at the moment. And we see, as a result, I think Bayern as a club, as an institution, looking out of touch and looking as if they're not quite... Well, I said earlier, finger on the pulse, if they're not quite really tuned into what's going on in 2018. And I must tell you that the sentiment I got from, from many friends and, and family members and colleagues who are all of the bind persuasion is that sense of, you know, we're in trouble here because the people who are in charge of the club, they don't get it. And this is really worrying. I, I don't think we... We saw it with a sense of um, glee or, or good humor or, um, you know, embarrassment. I think fear was actually the overriding emotion, the fear and the, the anxiety that the club is not being managed properly. And I think that is the big takeaway from this, from this press conference. Uli Hoeneß, of course, yesterday apologized. He said, I shouldn't have said these things about Bernard. Um, it's a start, but it still doesn't fill me with confidence that Rummenigge and Hunas, who've done, who've gotten things right more often than not over the last 40 years, and that's one of the reasons whereby I know where they are, and they shouldn't be forgotten, but I think there's a danger that streak 
of getting things right is coming to an end. That's a very good final word, Rafa, but I, I can't let you go without actually talking about the game that's going to go down here on, on Saturday night. Um, <laughs> first, first question, how do you think Bayern will deal without Thiago? Because to me, he has been the main man in that squad and he is sadly out now. Uh, Joshua Kimmich against Freiburg didn't work out so well. So how do you think Kovac will approach that game? Because he knows how to play as the underdog and Bayern trying to move into that role right now a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think Thiago has been the outstanding Bayern player, the, the one player who um, has really stepped up and has actually taken advantage of the lack of structure around him by kind of imposing his own structure on the team much more than he used to. And I think he's followed up from where he left off against uh, Real Madrid in the semi-final, where he was playing that position for, if not the first time, but certainly the first time in a big game, uh, in a game of this magnitude. And he was absolutely outstanding. And uh, it's a real shame he's not going to be there. Niko Kovac's solution for the big games in the Champions League, and arguably they haven't been this big so far, has been always to play Javi Martinez as a kind of uh, orthodox number six to shield the back four. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Martinez again or perhaps even two defensive midfielders in Martinez and Kimmich. I think that's a possibility. And then play a slightly more defensive system. The, the problem is that Bayern aren't really set up for that at the moment. Uh, Frankfurt had uh, had a muscularity and had a way of counter-attacking, which this Bayern team right now with the likes of Ribery and Robin doesn't really and, and and of course Lewandowski is not a counter-attacking striker either you wonder can they actually play like that okay you can play Serge Schnabi let's say as a, as a striker but then what do you do with, with Lewandowski so like many coaches before him I think Niko Kovac is not entirely free to make the decision he wants because he has to always keep an eye on dressing room dynamics and who can be left out and you know if I leave Müller out and then Bayern lose then you know the Bayern fans would be upset with me if I leave out Ribéry then he's going to go to Uli Hoeneß so he is juggling a lot of different balls at the same time and so far he hasn't always made the right decision I think personally that whatever team Bayern put out the quality that Dortmund have especially in wide areas but even through the middle when they overload certain areas and then make these movements with Royce taking up really good positions might just be too much for this Bayern team um, I think that judging from the mood in Dortmund there's a sense that maybe you know this is always a little bit too good to be true and we'll see Bayern come back and kind <laughs> of uh, take destroy the dream but I don't see it that way I just see in pure footballing terms one team that functions well and one team that doesn't And I think a lot of things would have to happen before I change my mind. I see a Dortmund win on Saturday. All right. Thank you, Rafa. That was a great interview. And I'll give back to the studio. I'm a town, you see me, you know everything. 
and we're back. Constantine, um, I want to thank you for coming on the show and please tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet. They can find me on Twitter, uh, cc underscore eckner, and there I will post all the links to all the previews and reviews and all the stuff you need to know, all the commentary and banter and whatever you you like. Um, so that's it. Just check it out. Give me a follow if you haven't already. Yeah, if I may plug something, of course, Rafa uh, was interviewing Axel Witzel for ESPNFC, and uh, there were some yeah pretty cool answers. Uh, so please go there and check that out. Uh, you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find the Yellow Wallpot at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and Facebook as well. And if you want to subscribe to our show, please do that on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And that should be it for this week until... Next week, I think if Dortmund will beat Bayern, we'll, <laughs> we'll try to get a quick podcast out after the game. Otherwise, uh, yeah, see you like in two weeks. Bye bye. <laughs>